Before I start, the first thing that you guys are going to have to do this morning, it's very fitting that we're talking about unity. You all are kind of close to each other. If you don't have a Bible or a phone that has a Bible on it, then make sure the person next to you does, because what's not going to happen this morning, nothing is going to come up on that screen. So when I say (laughs) our text for today is X, Y, and Z, could you stand for the reading of God's word? I'm going to read it to you, because I know how it gets when people have all kinds of translations. Um, But I do want everyone to be able to read along. So I'm giving you some time right now. Find a person with a Bible or a phone with a Bible. Everybody ready? Kind of, sort of. All right. Okay. All right. Now, when I say turn, okay. Don't let me look out and see people just standing there looking at me. You need to be looking down at something. All right. Amen. All right. So. Uh, So we are talking about unity today. We've been going through this sermon series, um, The Values That We Love. And um, those of you who may have been around a few years ago, 2013, I think it was, we we prayerfully discerned, like, what are our core values? What is it that we as a church, um, as new community here at Bronzeville, what are we committed to? What are we trying to grow into and become? And so one of those um, values, the one I will speak on, is unity. And so the way we articulate this, and you can find this on our website, it might even be in the bulletins, I'm not sure. Um, But we say, we desire to represent the diversity of our city as evidence of the gospel's reconciling power. We desire authentic and accountable fellowship. We desire the corporate gift of Sabbath worship and rest. And so based on uh, that articulation of what unity means to us, I have three points that I want to make for you this morning. The first is that the purpose of unity is to save souls and glorify God. However, and this is the second point, unity cannot be viewed, should not be viewed as simply a means to an end. And finally, true unity facilitates Sabbath worship and rest by allowing us to know and be known. So I'll repeat those. The purpose of unity is to save souls and glorify God. However, unity cannot be viewed simply as a means to an end. And finally, true unity facilitates Sabbath worship and rest by allowing us to know and be known. So our text this morning, um, we have two passages we're going to look at. The first um, comes from the book of John. So we'll look at John 17, verses 20 to 23. And then from the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 14 through 22. So um, when you are ready, I invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of God's word. We're going to start with the passage in John. So beginning in verse 20, it reads, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, and they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now I'll give you a little bit of time to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'll begin reading with the 14th verse. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, 
and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of God. Amen. So you guys can go ahead and have a seat. So we will jump right into um, the first point, And that is the purpose of unity is to save souls and glorify God. So I think that this is pretty clear um, in the, the passages that we read. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, um, but I do want to say a few things. So in the first passage, Jesus has just finished praying for his disciples. And so in the, the portion that we read for this morning, he's now turning to pray for believers, all believers, the present believers and the future believers. So us. And he asked God to make them, to make us one, just as he and the Father are one. And the purpose, according to Jesus' prayer, is so that the world would believe that Jesus was sent by the Father. So one of the most powerful ways that the church, that first church, um, witnessed to the goodness of God uh, was the fact that they were radically different from the world around them. So the the culture of the day, Roman culture, was not that unlike the culture of (laughs) today. So we ought to be able to relate very much to what people in the early church were experiencing. And so this church, um, in a place that was extremely self-gratifying and extremely self-centered and just kind of, you know, whatever you want to do to make yourself happy, go ahead and do it. It's all about you. Um, In a culture like that, the early church was radically generous, right? They were, people were amazed when they looked at them because they're like, well, these people not only care about like themselves and their own poor and their own widows, but like they care about everybody's poor and everybody's widows. And they, they go out of their way to be loving and kind. They were radical in that way. And so they looked different than the world around them. Their church, their community was marked by love. The way that they loved each other was a powerful testimony to the fact that something else must be happening because this isn't how people typically interact with one another. And so it's been said many times from this pulpit that um, us looking the way that we do points to a a God that is good because we look different than the world out there. People don't usually sit in churches that look like our church. You don't sit in spaces that look like this space, right? You don't go into a community group any day of the week and find folk who are diverse in many ways, not just racially diverse, but we are diverse based on our age. We are gendered diverse. We have different careers. We, I mean, we are very diverse. And you don't usually find folk like that sitting around in somebody's house laughing and sharing a meal maybe and sharing the deep, hard things of their life. We look different. And so that points to God. 
And going to a church like this can make you believe that, like, something really different has happened in the world. Like, it's changing, and things are great, and multiracial churches are this new wave that's taking over. So don't, that's not true. So that's not what's actually happening in the world. I forget it all the time. I'll be talking to somebody, and they, you know, they love Jesus, and I love Jesus, and they'll say something, I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That, this is what Christianity actually looks like. It doesn't look like this. The, the fact is that still on most Sundays in most churches, people sit in very racially divided spaces, and they live in very racially divided spaces. And most people who go to monoracial churches are not, like, racking their brains in staff meetings trying to figure out, like, how can we become more diverse? Um, there was a survey that um, I read in a study that this group just did recently, and uh, <laughs> I was so disappointed. But they, you know, they basically surveyed people to say, what do you think is going on in the church. Like, do you think your church is great when it comes to racial diversity? Do you think it needs to be more diverse? Should it be less diverse? And they're talking to people, again, who go to monoracial churches, and overwhelmingly the response was, no, we're good just the way we are. We're not really, no, we don't need to do anything more. This is different. This is not what the world looks like. And so we are disorienting, and we point to God. And that's attractive, and people want, are drawn to it. When folk come in here and they see a worship space that looks like this, they say, oh, this is, oh, this, it feels kind of different, but it kind of feels right. Uh, something's happening here. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. The purpose of the unity that God has given us, the unity um, that God has made possible through Christ's work on the cross, it is to point people in the direction of Christ Jesus. And say, this is a God that is good and powerful and is strong enough to tear down walls that divide. Walls that seem unbreakable. In Christ they are. This is good. This is good. But this brings us to the second point. It is good and it is right for us to be a signpost to God. And that's exactly what we are. But we can never, ever, ever see each other as simply a means to an end. So um, a study, some of you may know, I'm working on a project, right? So we're doing, I'm working on an, um, an edited volume. And so people are submitting chapters for this book project. Um, and I get the wonderful privilege of reading over all of these things and approving them and doing all that great stuff. So um, the fun side is that I get to, to read stuff that's out there before it's out there. And that's been really exciting. So one study that a, a woman did, she did a case study on a church that um, <laughs> I know what church it is. I figured out what church it is. So when we write as sociologists, you can't say like the church that you're studying. That's just wrong. You don't use people's real names. You don't use organizations' real names, but you can figure stuff out. So I'm not going to out this church right now, but I do know the church, and I was irritated. But anyway, so she did this case study <laughs> on this church in Chicago that is striving to be, you know, a, um, a city church, and, and, and it's a, a diverse church, and they... they believe in racial, maybe I'm not going to say that. They want to be a diverse church. So one of the things that they have done um, as a strategy is um, they will have uh, black people, and specifically black men, attractive, middle-class, educated, young black men, uh, be greeters. 
So they will stand at the front door. When you come to this church, you will probably be greeted by a handsome black man. Um, They will sometimes go out and stand on the sidewalk and welcome people in. And the point of that is because they're trying to signal, right, like, look at us. We are a city church, and we have black people. Because in a city church, you got to have black people, right, because we are diversity. Like, so they have black people. And so... And they will actually articulate this, that the, the leadership, they see this as being a way of, they want to reach people for Jesus, right? And if they're in a city, they want to reach people for Jesus, they feel like they have to reflect the city that they're in, and they have to sort of be authentic. And the best way to be authentic is to have just enough diversity. Not too much, but just enough. Now, if you are going to this church, um, and if you consider this your church home, or if you've been going for any amount of time, you probably recognize how asinine that is, right? Like, you are not sitting there saying, like, that sounds, yeah, we should do that. We got some handsome black men. Let's put them out front. Like, there's, right, you see, like, the lunacy of that. But that strategy, if you will, right, that way of looking at diversity and people of color as a means to an end is not something that is unique to this church. Like, that might be a really, you know, radical example of what this looks like. But it takes less, you know, radical forms in churches. I've sat in meetings where people talked about, you know, singing more of a particular kind of music, not because we want to make sure that the people in this congregation know that they are loved and we are all trying to grow and understand one another's culture, and, or not because we're even trying to reflect the beauty of the place that God has called us to be, but because it'll make us more attractive to the people we're trying to get. Diversity becomes a gimmick. It becomes a marketing tool. We want to reach people for Jesus. That's a great goal. We should all want to reach people for Jesus. But if we see each other as a means to an end, then we have made one another a marketing strategy. That's not what unity in Christ is. It is absolutely not a marketing tool. Jesus did not make us one so that people might come on in because that's the best way to get them. God made us one because God is love. And God desires us to be in relationship with God and us to be in relationship with each other. God made us one because he desires us to experience the power of love, the healing that reconciliation brings, right? That's why we are one. And absolutely, people will be drawn to Jesus. Absolutely, people will be attracted to that because if you are broken, you want to be whole. That is the unity that we have been called into. So this brings us to our third point, and we'll spend a little bit more time here. Because uh, it's, it's a little trickier for me to get to. So the third point is that the unity we experience in Christ is for us to be able to, to, it allows us to enter into Sabbath rest and Sabbath worship because we are known and we are made known. We know and we are made known. So he, this is where it, Again, bear with me. I'm going to need you to stick with me on this one. So the unity that we experience in Christ, right? We know that we serve a God who is triune, three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the first time that we see this um, 
model of unity, right? The first time we see this, this idea of God being triune or God being communal, I should say, is in the book of Genesis. In the first creation story, God says to God's self, let us create man in our own image. And then it goes on to say, and so then God created them, male and female, he created them in his image. So this is the first example of us seeing God again in this communal way. And if we believe John's word that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and that word was Jesus Christ as he goes on to explain them. What we, we can know is that God is having a conversation with the Godhead, right? God, the Son or the Holy Spirit, I don't know which part of the triune God is talking to which other part of the triune God, but the triune God is talking to God's self. That makes sense, right? So this is the first model of what unity in Christ would look like. And this is a model that we're most familiar with. There's consensus. There's no debate. There's not like a back and forth. God doesn't say we should make for ourselves a man. And then like God say, "Eh, you sure about that? Because you know how that story is going to end. Like, like there's none of that, right? Like it's just God says, and then it happens. And I think that is the model of unity that we are familiar with. We think that unity in Christ ought to mean that it's, we, we think of it kind of like, not to say this is how the triune God operates, so I want to be very clear before I say what I'm about to say next, but we think of it as being kind of like um, the Borg in Star Trek. Anybody know that reference? That's so sad. So sad. Thank you. Thank you. So, thank you. Okay, so... <laughs> So the Borg were a collective of cyborgs. Um, They were evil. God is not evil. But they basically functioned out of a hive mentality, right? Like, so they would go around the universe and, like, convert people into being these cyborgs. And then they all had one mind and sort of all moved in the same way. And I think that that's sort of, like, minus the evil. That's how we think of unity in Christ. And so when when we say stuff like we have been made one in Christ Jesus... The idea that that's a real thing here and now seems kind of far off, right? Because, like, how, how can we, yes, we have been, but not really, right? We're not really going to experience that today. There's absolutely an aspect of unity in Christ Jesus that we will not experience in perfection until Jesus Christ returns, right? So we live in that space between it's already done and yet it hasn't happened. So we're, like, in the middle. And in the middle, we don't get perfect unity until Jesus comes, But there's a powerful aspect of the unity that Christ has given us that we absolutely can experience and live into right now. And God has called us into. And I think that that model of unity is modeled in Gethsemane. So as we said, Jesus was the word. That's what John tells us. Jesus was the word. Jesus was there from the beginning. And through Jesus, as the gospel says, nothing that was created has been created, right? And then that word took on flesh. So that was Jesus who dwelled among us. So then, if we know that God, Jesus, the Son, was part of that Godhead, every single time you see Jesus pray in the New Testament, you are witnessing, we are witnessing a model of unity between the Godhead. It's God communing with God's self. And so one of the most powerful examples of this is when we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's about to be crucified. And the text tells us, if you might remember from the story, that Jesus is so so agonized by what's about to happen that he is sweating blood. 
He's there and he's praying and his prayer is not like, this is great, God. I love it. This is No, like he is asking and pleading with the father to take this cup. I don't want to do the thing that you have called me to do. I don't want to do the thing that we all agreed I was going to come down here and do. I'm not feeling it in the moment. He is pleading with the father. Now, Jesus walks out of the garden of Gethsemane with peace. In that space where he is pleading, where he is broken, where he is sweating blood, he ultimately comes to a place of acceptance and surrender and submission and peace. And peace. Such that later on in the story when the soldier comes and Peter is like, no, and cuts off the ear, Jesus isn't standing there like, yep, that's what happens when you come to arrest the Son of God. Your ear gets cut off. Like, that's not what he does. Like, he picks up the ear, he heals the man, and he says, no, we're not doing it this way, not by the sword. He has complete peace and acceptance for what God, the Father, has called him to do. So how does that translate into what this unity looks like with us? See, unity within the body does not mean the absence of conflict. Unity within the body does not mean that every single moment that you go to a church that looks like this, you're going to be like, this is so amazing. I love it. No. There are going to be times when you absolutely don't love it. There will be times when someone gets on your nerves. There will be times when you become tired. And little things can make you tired. Tired of having to explain stuff that you wouldn't have to explain if you went to a church where everybody looked like you because everybody would just get it. Tired of knowing that you're saying something and someone doesn't quite get it. Tired of hearing something and not quite getting it. (laughs) Tired of feeling like you're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or mess up, right? There are going to be times when you want to go and sit in a space and hear a word the way that you want to hear it in your mother tongue. You want to hear a worship song or a praise song that you just need to get you through. And you know they're not going to play that song because they don't know that song. And you don't even want them to play that song because you know they're going to mess that song up, right? Like, there, there are going to be moments where you are just tired. And unity in the body of Christ means that I can feel like that and I can say to you, oh, I am so tired. I am so frustrated. This is hard. And you can say to me, I get it. It is hard. Or you can say nothing. You can pray for me. Or you can just sit with me. But it doesn't mean that I am walking away from you. And I know that you're not going to walk away from me because I say that it's hard. Something that blessed me immensely, um, and I shared this uh, in the sermon that I preached after, like at the beginning of the year. Like, it was a rough time, right? A bunch of mess was happening. The whole Black Lives Matters, the things that led us to a Black Lives Matters movement, just was, it had me in a not-so-wonderful space. And there was a Sunday, it wasn't, there was the time before a Sunday, I did not want to go to church. I was like, I just, I am not happy. And I do not want to go sit in church, and I'm just going to be honest. Like, I don't want to see white people. I don't want to see any white people right now. I'm not really feeling white people right now. I'm frustrated. One of the things that blessed my soul was having a conversation with Pastor David who completely understood why I might not want to see white people. (laughs) And what he said to me is, if you can't come, that's fine. If If you can't be there, you need to do what you need to do to be okay. I get it. I get it. Pastor David is very much a white person. He is the epitome of whiteness. He is white man, 
middle-class white man, okay? (laughs) So for him to be able to say to me, one, for me to know that I can say, I just can't right now, and that was okay. And for him to be able to say, I get that you can't. So if you can't, it's okay. And when I came on that Sunday, because I did, because I didn't feel like God was going to let me sit at home, though I tried, I guarantee I tried, it was a huge blessing to have that pastor out of his mouth preach a sermon that I would not have preached myself if I talked about it. It was healing. It was a moment where I experienced reconciliation. That to be in this kind of body means that there are other people who may not look like me. There are people who may look like the very people who sometimes cause me grief and pain, who say, I get it, I see you, and it causes me grief and pain because we are in community with one another. You are my brother, you are my sister. That's the kind of oneness that Jesus Christ has given us. It's absolutely not a oneness that is conflict-free. It is a oneness that will have lots of conflict. It is a oneness that will have lots of struggle. But in Christ, we get to do that together. And that will be hard, but in Christ, we get to figure that out together. So when you want to walk away, know that the unity that God has given us through the Holy Spirit says you don't have to. Come and sit and stay in this hard space for a while because it will get easier. It will get easier. I actually cannot imagine being, um, and I used to say jokingly, like, I could go back to a black church. I'd be perfectly happy in a black church. But I don't know that I would. I could visit. But at some point in time, this has become my home. This has become the thing that resonates with my soul and speaks to my soul. This. That's the unity that we have in Christ Jesus. And it is good. And it is right. And it is healing. Our, our oneness, the, the, the dividing walls that were put to death on the cross in Christ Jesus, our unity, it will absolutely glorify God. It will absolutely win souls because people will be drawn to a God that loves them that way. See, that's what Jesus says at the end of that John passage. It's not just so that they will know that you sent me, but that they will know that you love them even as you have loved me. That will win souls and glorify God. The unity that we experience in this place is not a gimmick. It is not a marketing tool. It is grounded in the deep and abiding love of our Heavenly Father, who the Bible tells us is love. That is why we do this thing. That is why Christ has allowed us to do this thing. That is why Christ went to the cross so that we could be here today. That love that says, I desire that you all would love one another and know one another. And we will experience Sabbath worship and rest because we can stand before each other and say, look, this is who I am. You can know me. I can be known by you. All of who I am, my mess, my good stuff, my ba- all of it. That allows us to be in a space where we can worship and we can rest because we don't have to put on airs. We don't have to wear masks. We don't have to come and try to be right. We don't, none of that. That's the unity that Christ has called us into. And so I'm going to wrap us up and pray. Um, but as we go into communion, 
know that when we take this and we say the words and we go through the communion litany and we talk about the fact that God has called us to this table, that is the richness of the table that he has set before us. It's a table where everybody is welcome. And the beauty of being in a church like this is that you get just a taste of what everybody looks like. What everybody looks like. What that feast might look like. Amen. Amen. Pray pray with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you left us with such a wonderful prayer. That you asked the Heavenly Father to make us one. Even as you and the Father were one are one. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have in your own body taken on every ugliness that divides us. I thank you that you didn't just take on the sins that we like to think about, our fornication or our drinking or our lying. You took on you the weight of the ugliness that is in this world, our hatred of one another, the fact that we are willing to kill each other, The fact that we seem unable and incapable outside of you of seeing one another as brother, as sister. You took that ugliness on your body and it was crucified and put to death. And I thank you that the only thing that got up from the grave is you. I thank you that that is in fact dead. It seems so powerful in our lives. It seems so real in our lives. But I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have given us everything that we need to live into a unity that is powerful. God, I can only imagine what it will be like when you return and you make all things right and we experience the perfection of the unity that we've been given. But Lord, I thank you that you have not left us with nothing. I thank you that you have given us one another, that you have left us with community. Lord, I pray that you would continue to make us one, this body. Help us to be people who know how to speak to one another, who desire to speak to one another, who desire to hear and be heard. Help us to be people who will not get up and run away when it looks hard, when it feels uncomfortable. Help us to be folk who know how to stay and to press in. And to know that this is a community that has been built on a foundation of love and truth and righteousness and reconciliation and healing and goodness and grace and mercy and kindness. I thank you that we get to experience that here on this side of glory. Lord, you are an amazing God. You are an amazing, amazing, amazing God. Thank you, Jesus. Continue to let the power of that prayer that we would be one, continue to let that resonate in our community. In your holy name we pray. Amen.